Hi, welcome to another episode of Paul on Power, Power System Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Edward Herbert. Uh, he was recently involved in an EPRI PSMA workshop uh, on the smart grid. In fact, uh, he coached the uh, co-chairs at PSMA and organized the workshop uh, titled, Are You uh, Smart Enough for the Smart Grid? And we're going to talk to him about some of his observations uh, from the event. So, hi, Ed. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. Glad to have you aboard. Uh, my audience knows that Smart Grid's been something very near and dear to me because it's truly a, a, a situation that we are literally inventing as we go along, and the ramifications extend way beyond just simply where the power is coming from. What do you see? Well, when we uh, formulated this workshop, one of our objectives <clears throat> was to uh, explore the interface between power converters and the grid. Um, grid forums and grid workshops are a dime a dozen. They seem to be one every other week. But I was not aware of any that, that looked at this interface uh, quite specifically. Um, we had a feeling that there were things that the power converters could do that would be beneficial to the grid but the grid people didn't know enough to ask. And power converters, the PSMA members, didn't know enough about the grid to know what to offer. And I think mm -hmm. we found that that's, that is true. The, well, uh, a lot of that is a, a perception issue, right? Because, uh, you know, the, one of the phrases I saw in the paperwork you had sent me and one that uh, my audience is fond of hearing me, well, I don't know if they're fond of it, but I'm fond of using it, is the blind man and the elephant because it really truly is based upon your point of view of the issue. I mean, it, if you're a software person, it's a cloud-based control issue. If you're a power person, it's just a distribution issue. But in reality, the software is needed for the distribution and the hardware is needed to support the software. It's all a gestalt. Well, yes, your blind man and the elephant analogy is good, but if I remember Sex's pun correctly, they all spoke English. And we found that the uh, grid people and the engineers don't even speak the same language. As an example, we engineers think we know all about impedance. We can do Bode plots and frequency responses and all the rest. But if you ask a uh, grid person what the impedance of a transformer is, he's going to come back and tell you it's 4%. Mm, right, exactly. Well, it's yeah, very perspective-oriented. Yes. Um, percent impedance is actually a very useful tool, and we, we should learn about it. It's a special case of per-unit calculation, and it's, it's very powerful. But I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> Interesting. Now, how many other aspects like that did you encounter in this workshop? Just simple perspective and paradigm issues, you could almost say. I mean, essentially, it really is totally a different parallax if you're not even sharing the same language. It's almost like quantum physics and special relativity. I think probably the one that had the, uh, the most immediate uh, connection was the section on keeping the grid working. They, they talked a lot about the importance of VARs. Now, I think we power converter engineers vaguely know that VARs stands for volts amps reactive, but we certainly don't know how they're used in the grid. And they're having a great deal of trouble with VAR, VAR compensation now. The, the, uh, in the grid, they, they switch in these big capacitors to compensate for the inductive loads and the line impedance. 
And a lot of them are designed to switch in once or twice a day as the load ramps up and the load ramps down. They're now finding that they have to switch them hundreds of times a day and they're wearing out. And I, our analysis shows that they really belong in the power converter at the load, not only the uh, loads, but also the distributed power sources. Compensation really well, should be a, there. Right. Well, Ed, that makes a lot of sense. But the other side of that coin is, uh, and that's only one of the many facets, is the infrastructure installation costs. I mean, yes, the upgrade needs to be done, but where does it need to be done? And then the other side of that coin is where it's located also determines who pays for it as well and who's responsible for managing it and upgrading it and the whole nine yards, right? That's very true. If you look at the grid, you see that it's largely divided from the uh, very large bulk generators, and then there's a bulk distribution, and there's a sub-distribution in the substations, and then local distribution. And a lot of things divide along there. The, the utility equipment is very big and very expensive and lasts a long time. Some of it's 40 years old and is well-maintained, so it could very well last another 40 years. If you look uh, at the other end, at the uh, power converters, they tend to have a relatively short life, um, five, seven years. Some of them are going to be longer. But, um, the, and they're much faster responsive, most of them being uh, electronic. I think uh, that's the end of the grid that makes sense to uh, make changes if you want to do it on any uh, reasonably accelerated time scale. Um, also, in, in um, putting compensation in a power converter, um, it's very often just a matter of uh, phase shifting a little bit. You, you don't really have to put in capacitor banks like you do if you do it at an intermediate stage. Ooh, good point. So, Ed, um, as far as that goes, then, beyond those challenges, what are some of the other Beyond uh, that, what are some of the other challenges that you encountered uh, in the discussions in the workshop? Well, one that really surprised me was um, uh, the talk about energy storage. Um, the deployment of energy storage has been rather spotty, and uh, the the EPRI spokesman on that said that they'd never had an installation that worked right out of the box. They also said that fires had been a bit of a problem. About half the fires had been in the uh, power converters. This leads me to believe that uh, a whole lot of these installations went to the low bidder or, or perhaps people that could write better proposals than engineering. Or maybe they're done by people who know the chemistry of their batteries and supercapacitors but really don't know about power converters. Uh, well, so there's I think a great the opportunity Boeing... for... Well, I'm sorry, Ed, but I was about to say, I think... I th I think the Boeing issue alone is enough to underscore the, the 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 chasm between the battery the next generation battery chemistries and the way those chemistries are managed because if you manage the new generation technologies the way the older technologies were managed like in the case of Boeing putting multiple cells in uh single bus environments without independent monitoring and uh, management, you're begging for problems in the system. And so in the case of energy storage, yeah, it could be a flywheel. It could be magic angels dancing inside. But if that power conversion stage 
is just last year's transformer with a couple of doohickeys wrapped around it, yeah, of course it's going to burst into flames if you overload it. I think some of the problem may be that, that these are essentially voltage sources sitting on the grid, and if they're close to weather, you're trying to parallel voltage sources without having uh, a sense winding between them, a sense wire between mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. And we the inverter people know that if you try to parallel voltage sources without uh, some kind of connection between them, without kind of out intelligent between them, it's very hard to make them stable. Uh, and that may be part of the problem. Mm. Well, that's, that's another aspect, and then obviously beyond the core technology issue, which multiple companies are offering up their core technologies, there's the power conversion aspect, and then of course there's the communication to the grid to properly coordinate the assets in an equitable manner. And the communication to the grid presents an interesting problem too, because uh, what happens if the communication link is down or you can't validate the data or the computer's offline? Um, nobody wants to talk about that, but we really need to have a robust uh, default mode so things keep working. Mm -hmm. Well, and then let's go this step beyond. Once we start talking about uh, a term that uh, I've recently come up with, I call it um, negotiated power, going forward when we get into a situation where uh, we've got a smart grid. Who decides whose power gets turned down so the other person gets to keep their lights on? Well, that is a very interesting thing, and, and one of the, the keynote speaker from EPRI pointed out that power flow is dictated by two different things that are, are only sort of compatible. One of them is electrons flow where the physics say they go. And that's right. determined by impedance and voltage differences and phase angle and stuff like that. But in the grid, they have to control uh, power flow for economic reasons as well, you know, to steer it to the um, people who have the contracts or have the lowest prices. And these quite often are in conflict. And I think somehow there's going to be a separation in, in the frequency domain there because the negotiated um, economic flow is probably not going to be very useful if you're talking about second-by-second second variations. I think for that, you need a, 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 a physics-based, uh, engineered-based uh, decision-making, and it has to be uh, you know, probably the same as the default mode. Well, unless, Ed, if I may, unless, Ed, they uh, start using those high-speed Wall Street trading software systems as a basis for power negotiation so they would be used to doing literally thousands of trades a second on the spot price of energy uh, to the point probably where the, the energy losses and just the transmission of all of these trades starts impacting the efficiency of the system, I would guess. Well, I think the, I think the computer horsepower is there to run things at, at that rate as long as the computer is running um, and the data link is good. But... Um, you know, the airlines, Google, everybody occasionally has outages, and what's going to happen to the grid then? Is it, are we just going to let it collapse? I, I don't think that's a viable option. I think, it, I think it has to be able to keep running on its own. Well, this is also true, but then again, depending upon the model that we eventually discover, there may be a profit-based model that actually does function once you factor in the savings of a smart grid plus the addition of uh, new 
uh, renewable and non-renewable energy sources into the grid. So it may become a moot point once we start taking away with the one hand, we start giving with the hand of efficiency and reduced operating cost. Well, those are all very valid points, and I think you're right. I hope I hope I'm I'm not I I, I would be I would love it if I were right because uh, I think we would save probably upwards of 20 to 25 percent in the grid just by improving management. There's so much waste in the grid because the other side of the coin is whenever there is a dead load, the power company could actually spot it for their own benefit just to get the damn thing off the grid to save them wasted energy they're never going to get paid for. Right, right. So the, the grid is better than than you realize. I think the the losses in the grid are estimated about seven percent, not twenty percent. Really, I had thought that. I, I, there you go. Um, you learn something mm-hmm. new every day. I thought the grid losses were actually still relatively high. Well, where you, um, some of this is where you uh, draw the boundary because if you get deep into the generator or you get deep into the power converter and start factoring in their efficiencies, then you would get numbers like you you mentioned. Well, I was, yeah, that's what I was more referring to was like total system efficiencies. Once you factor in, say, for example, at peak times being able to use solar and wind and in the evening doing some power shifting uh, based on whatever grid stiffening and grid storage uh, technologies that you've implemented, that's, I, I was thinking about total system uh, savings be, because of the ability to integrate more energy sources and more variety of energy sources into it. That is interesting. Um, however, if you are talking about charging a battery and then getting the power back later, you have a built-in uh, inefficiency there. I, I think 80% would be very, very good if you were talking about that cycle. Oh, excellent point. Excellent, completely excellent point there, Edward. But then again, uh, power uh, generated in the, at night that's not stored is wasted completely. Right. Um, so but looking to the future. Well. Looking into the future, as, as more and more people are putting solar panels on their houses and California's zero net energy building thing gets more momentum, I think the peak generation is going to be a sort of ragged generation centered around noon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then that, would that even behooves more uh, grid stabilization technology, be it uh, routing the power outside of the grid to other places that need it, to storage within the grid to literally pumping water uphill if need be. Well, I think you're right. Um, there are going to be large new developments with zero net energy buildings with uh, solar collectors on every house, and that power is, is going to be too much for the local use. It's going to have to be shipped to the cities. This is also very true. And then there we go again to who pays for the distribution uh, infrastructure, who pays for the storage infrastructure? If, if I've got a windmill farm next to a municipality, does the municipality put the storage in at their grid level for grid stability and load shifting issues, or does the uh, wind power facility put the, the, the storage at their site for better uh, resiliency and ability to respond to demand on the grid? One of the uh, most Interesting topics of our workshop was monetizing energy storage. It's, it's very difficult uh, subject to tackle. Well, there's a contest going on right now, a uh, several million pound contest for whoever can come up with the most cost-effective way of shifting time-shifting power from night to day. 
I saw something about that. I think the contest is closed now, so we can't enter. Well, the entries are. The entries are. Yeah, they're still working. Right. The, 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 now all the entrants are feverishly uh, working, whipping along their boffins, as they call their uh, t technologists. So, Ed, what thoughts do you have for our audience out to close out the episode? Because I know we could continue to talk on this, but I realize time continues to fly. Well, one thing I wanted to tell the audience was that uh, I hope everybody comes to, Ep uh, to APEC in uh, Fort Worth in March. And PSMA is sponsoring two industry sessions. Um, well, they're sponsoring a lot more, but I'm telling you about the two that I am involved in. I'm co-chairman of the Magnetics Committee, and we're doing a uh, session, industry session on how are magnetics keeping up with, with silicon carbide and GAN? And then the Energy Efficiency Committee, I'm co-chairman of that as well, is doing an industry session on energy storage. And this EPRI um, PSMA workshop actually inspired the energy storage industry session because there's, there's so much meat there and so, much, uh, so many engineering problems to solve. But I, I think you... I think you have some more news for everybody, too. Um, um, you're moderating well, rap session at APEC, aren't you? Yes, well, and, and, and uh, you're sitting on it, in fact. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be moderating the rap session on Smart Grid, in fact, Smart Grid Infrastructures, and uh, you're going to be one of my esteemed panelists. Uh, let's do some mutual log rolling here. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I think so, too. Well, and, and the beautiful part about it is is that the, for, the, for all of the challenges, you know, and the dangers involved in making it up as we go along, the beautiful part of it is we can make it up as we go along, and the things that we discuss at the, even at the RAP sessions may not create policy, but definitely will in, influence the minds of the people who are creating the systems and developing the policies moving forward. So by participating in the RAP sessions, attending, and all of this other, uh, all of you out there in the audience, like I said, attending, you know, be part of it, because by moving the ball forward, by whatever distance, we are l literally helping to create the future we wish to create. Yes, and the rap sessions very definitely depend on questions from the audience. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So thank you again, Ed. I really appreciate you coming by and taking the time to chat with me. Well, it was fun. Let's do it again sometime. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul Tom Power. Have a great day. <laughs>